Um, so this week we're going to be talking about a healthy church member is a growing disciple. Um, which as I dug into this, it's kind of a summary of some of our previous Sunday school lessons. One on, we did a whole semester or whatever on sanctification. Um, and then we also talked about means of the means of ordinary means of grace. And so this is kind of a little bit of a summary of, of those two entire classes. So go ahead and go back in your Google machine and, and pull those up. They said still, those recordings still should be available. Um, and so we're, we're working through this book. Uh, we've got a few weeks left. What is a healthy church member? And we've kind of established that a healthy church member is a healthy Christian um, and that we don't have a context for uh, the Christian life not being part of a local expression of or community of believers. Um, and that Christianity is a communal reality. We don't do this alone. Um, and that a healthy church um, is made up or a church is made up of members, and so a healthy church is made up of healthy church members, and an unhealthy church is made up of unhealthy members. And we've talked kind of around all of all the different aspects of what a healthy church member looks like. We talked about being an expositional listener, a biblical theologian, that a healthy church member is gospel-saturated, um, that a healthy church member is genuinely converted. So we've talked a, lot, a little bit about contrasting emotional decision-making to uh, true conversion. Uh, we talked about biblical evangelists, um, that we are uh, evangelists um, in the way that we tell ourselves about the gospel, the way that we tell and remind others about the gospel, and that uh, how we tell unbelievers about the good news of Christ's work on the cross. We then talked about being a committed member, um, that uh, not only is a healthy church member, uh, all these things, but they're also a committed member, that they're regularly attending, that they're seeking the peace um, of the church, they're edifying and watching over others, they're pursuing reconciliation, bearing one another's burdens, that there's participation in the sacraments and supporting the work of the church. And then last, two weeks ago, Sheldon taught about seeking discipline. So the idea of this formative discipline and corrective discipline, that we're disciplining ourselves and building ourselves up, but that we are looking for opportunities to be corrected by the word, by each other as a way um, for us to grow. Um, and then this week we're going to talk about growing, uh, that, that a healthy church member is a growing disciple. Um, so what does that mean and what are we growing to? One of the things that I, I kind of like about this, this book is first it's short, five or six pages per chapter, um, but also that the author generally starts his argument about the particular part of the healthy church member by telling us what he's not saying. So I think a lot of times um, it's, it's helpful to get, a, get out of like, hey, this is not what I'm saying, and then we can really kind of focus in on what um, we are talking about by what we're when we talk about a growing disciple. So he starts the chapter by saying this, it's impossible to separate the health of a local church from the health of its members, and it's impossible to divide the well-being of a church member from his or her spiritual growth and discipleship. And so what he's saying is that in order for somebody to be a healthy 
Christian, in essence, um, that there is growth, that this is not a static life that we live, that post our salvation, um, we don't just rest on our laurels, that God intends that we are growing, in essence, into Christ-likeness, and that that process um, is not finished and won't ever be completely perfect on this side of heaven, but that there is growth in our conquering of sin, <clears throat> in our, um, our love for the word, in our prayer life, that there is growth and there is a, a development in the way that we um, live. And so first he says, what happens when Christians don't grow? Um, and he kind of talks about two types of, of lack of growth in essence. Um, the first, he says that there's this idea of like a temporary plateau or a spiritual rut that people can get in. And this happens to all Christians and it's a normal part of, uh, of the Christian life. Um, and so he doesn't really focus on that and I don't know that we should either. I think we should be encouraged by the fact that this is a struggle that we all face um, and that the important things when we um, have these plateaus or ruts is that we identify it change maybe change a routine or change our focus um but the other thing that he doesn't talk about in the chapter but is important in that and is that it is sometimes not easy for us to identify that plateau or rut in ourselves and again calls us back to this idea of being in community with others so that we can be checking on each other this in essence, formative discipline that we talked about last week. If we don't know each other, if we're not connected to each other, invested in, in uplifting each other, then we off, often can have blinders about these ruts that we get into. But what he does um, kind of focus on and, and um, talk about um, as a, a really important problem um, is this idea of this chronic lack of growth. So not just a temporary rut, not just a... I'm in a busy time in my work and I'm not thinking about my spiritual life, but this idea of that, you're not just in a rut, but you're stuck in the mud and you're good with it. You're complacent and you're happy. You've fallen into what he calls a spiritual slumber um, and you're good with the slumber. You're not under, you're not really wanting to grow. You're good with where you're at. And he says that this is often, um, a misunderstanding or always is a misunderstanding of what the Christian life looks like. So some people will fall into a rut because, or into this chronic lack of growth because they just feel like they're never going to be good enough anyway. So why try? The other way is um, to say that you've arrived. All right. I've got, I've got everything figured out. I have my quiet time every morning. You know, the things, the, 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 things that we put in our um, life to try to say that we're growing. And one of the things that is important when we think about growth and spiritual growth is the difference between what's happening externally and what's happening internally. And so people that can find themselves in this chronic lack of growth may externally have their stuff together, but internally they're not growing. And that can lead to a resting on their laurels or resting on this external, well, everybody else thinks I'm growing, so there, then I must be. Um, and so that, he said, 
is a problem. It leads to a shallowness, um, and it often is more difficult to identify in others because that community that we're having is not genuine and it's not honest. Um, there's not a humility uh, in folks that would talk about, would um, be in that situation. So he talks about this idea of the problem with our thinking about growth, what it means. And the big picture is that um, uh, we think wrongly about Christian growth, especially in our society, especially in our culture, and honestly, in the Christian church in America. We are great with complacency. We don't like to be challenged. We like to have everything kind of easy for us. And so he, um, so this is a problem with Christian growth. So if we're gonna grow, we have to figure out what is keeping us from truly embracing what that growth looks like. Um, so he uh, talks, so the first um, scripture is from Luke 18. This is a parable that Christ told about um, the Pharisee and the tax collector, so pretty common. So Luke 18, nine through 14. Uh, says he told this, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get, but the tax collector, standing afar off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And so the problem in our thinking about Christian growth is exemplified in this in a few different ways. First is this um, idea of a performance trap. So we're stuck on in this external performance. We're stuffing, uh, he, the author uses the example of, um, a sports example of stuffing the stat sheet. Does anyone kind of know what that means? So this is the idea of you're towards the end of the, the game and <clears throat> um, you know, you've won the game or you lost the game, whichever, but you know, you gotta get your point average up and so you score a bunch at the end just to kind of make yourself look better. So you got your stats look better than you actually performed. So you didn't perform well, um, but your stats look like you performed well. And we can get into this where, again, this internal, external. Internally, we're not growing. Our Christian growth is weak. But externally, we're performing. We're doing all those things that we're supposed to do. Um, and the other part of this, and it gets back to this, this um, scripture, is that we're, um, we're doing things that we think are holy, but God doesn't actually require. So if we think about the Pharisee um, and what he talks about, first he says, I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers. Those are, sin those are sinful people. Those are people that are identified in their sin, right? But a tax collector... I mean, the negative connotation of a tax collector is there in that society at that time. 
but he doesn't know what this guy's like. He could be an honest tax collector. So he's looking at this guy and saying that he's a tax collector and I'm a Pharisee. Again, externally saying that's a, that's a sinner, even though he doesn't know that guy. So he's assuming sin in the tax collector, but then he also says, I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I get. God doesn't require God didn't require that. That wasn't part of the requirements um, of the of the old covenant. He did, they did, there was no fasting required. There was you didn't have to give all tithes tithes up on everything. There was you know different laws on that. So not only is he stuffing the stat sheet by saying I'm not like all these other sinful guys, but he's also adding things that are not required of him and saying, well, I'm doing those things too. So I'm holier than the other guy. So there's the performance trap. There's also just judging by wrong standards. So for the first thing that he does is he compares himself to others. And that's not what we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to compare ourselves to others. There is a standard by which we're to judge ourselves, and that's the perfect um, law of God. And so judging against other people, and we can fall into this trap as well. Well, I go to church every Sunday, and I pray three times a day, and I do all these things, um, but that guy doesn't. And it's easy for us to fall into this chronic rut of not growing because, again, we're looking at external things and looking at others. Um, so we're justifying ourselves um, by looking at the wrong standard. Uh, and so this calls us to have more humility. We should have more humility. Um, and then the third is, um, the third problem in our thinking is depending on our personal effort or strength. Um, so progress and spiritual growth depends on grace and depends on the will of God through the work of the spirit. So this is not our work. This is something that is given to us. We are called to grow in our mature, spiritual maturity and our holiness and the way that we um, live our lives, but we don't do it with our own personal effort or strength. Whereas this guy, this Pharisee, was doing these things, obviously based on himself. He wasn't justified. At the end, Jesus says, he wasn't justified, um, but the other person, the other guy was. First um, Thessalonians 3, 1, 11 through 13 says, um, and if someone wants to pull up Colossians 1, 9 through 14, we'll read that next. <clears throat> First, First Thessalonians says, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. So a couple of things in that script, in that verse, or those verses, <clears throat> God the Father and the Lord Jesus is directing us in our growth. And the other thing is that this is a communal thing that talks about these are things that we abound in love for one another. Part of our spiritual growth is abounding in love for one another. Does someone have uh, Colossians 1? Which verses? 
Uh, 9 through 14, sorry. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance So we see in Colossians as well that this is the will of God, that that he is calling us to grow in our spiritual, uh, in our relationship with him, and that there's a direction, that there's a a goal, um, but that God is direct, God is doing this in us. and so as we turn from thinking about some of the problems in our thinking that limit our ability to grow spiritually, um, I want to transition to talk a little bit more about those, those biblical exhortations that we are given to grow so that we are not static. So this is, again, this reminder of the justification that we've been given is not something that keeps us in one spot, but that we're growing in our um, in our faith. Um, so Hebrews 5, 11 through 6, 1 is one of those places. Uh, we find verses all through scripture that encourage us in spiritual growth. But Hebrews 5, 11 says about this, we have much to say and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the works of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instructions about washing and laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. So this, this the author of Hebrews is saying, you, uh, you need to grow. You can't remain unskilled. You need to move on from milk to solid food to mature. And this will all happen if God permits. So this is this idea that we are not doing this on our, in and of ourselves, but that we are growing because God wills us to grow and God gives us the ability to grow. So the growth that we do want to see um, can be summed up in, in the, word, the, the biblical term of, of, of sanctification. So this idea that we are being sanctified in our Christian life. So we spent, again, a whole um, Sunday school talking about sac- this idea of sanctification, and we made some kind of key terms. We said there's justification, which is this um, this peer- this point where we were saved from, we were brought from death to life. We had our heart transplanted from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, and that was done completely by God. And then sanctification follows that, and sanctification is kind of the middle ro- the middle of our story. So from justification, this point in time, to sanctification over the course of our lives, we are being (coughs) sanctified um, 
And then at the end of our life is glorification. So sanctification is a work of God that takes place inwardly and shows itself outwardly. It results in transformation right from the beginning of our justification and increasingly over, the t- over our lives um, and um, not perfected on this side of heaven, but, uh, but will continue to grow. So this is a promise. This is just as sure of a promise um, that it will happen in our lives as justification is. But everybody's, we talked about this a bunch, there were people drawing pictures on the board. Not everybody's sanctification looks exactly the same. There are plateaus and ruts over the course of our lives, but there's a positive trajectory, again, because it's not us doing it, it's because it's God doing this work in us. Um, and so he, the author of the book talks a lot about this idea of abiding in Christ and thinking about the when Christ talks in John 15 about the true vine and branches. Um, and... I'm going to read it. I didn't put it in my outline, so give me a sec. Any thoughts so far while I awkwardly transition? So Christ says uh, in um, John 15, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I am him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So this is pretty much a summary of what Christian growth looks like. God has grafted us into his family. He's connected us to Christ in our justification, and that results in fruit. So we bear fruit. We don't bear it in and of ourselves. This is not something that we personally do outside of Christ, but because we are connected to Christ in this particular um, explanation, he talks about the idea of we're a branch and he's the vine. The branch by itself can't bear fruit. It has to receive the nutrients from the vine in order for that to happen. And so this idea of growth, this really agricultural idea of growth is an idea that we are growing um, through what Christ has done for us, attaching us to himself, but that also this growth, this fruit that we produce is coming from Christ. It's coming from God. And what is it for? It's for our joy, but more importantly, because, because it gives 
By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. So the purpose of our spiritual growth is, again, not so that we can have an external list of things that make us great, but because the growth that we experience gives God glory and gives us joy. And so people that are stuck or are complacent for long periods of time and not growing, internally growing, are not truly full of joy. Their joy is not full. Um, and so Christ kind of lays that out as clearly as, as anything um, that I can say. Um, and what are those fruits, right? So as we kind of transition into thinking about some application, what are those fruits? We, um, the Galatians 5 says, but the fruits of the Spirit. So, so we, when we talked in sanctification, we talked about this being a Trinitarian experience. So God uh, is involved and he gets the glory. Jesus is, is our justification and he grafts us into himself and the Spirit does the work in us. So the fruit that we produce is through the work of the Spirit. And so Galatians 5.22 says, but the fruits of the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with, flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. So this kind of takes that Pharisee, that parable, the Pharisee, and turns it on its head. Instead of thinking about ourselves and become conceding, becoming conceited, provoking one another to sin, envying one another, we should live by the Spirit. And these are the fruits that we should see uh, as we grow in Christ-likeness. And these are fruits that will benefit us they give God glory. They will make our joy more full. But they also will help us be in better community with each other. If you, if the fruits of the Spirit in your life are love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, that will help you, but it will also help our church or the local church, whatever context that is, be more healthy. If we are kind towards each other, if we're good towards each other, if we're gentle with each other, if we maintain self-control, we don't want to provoke and become conceited. Those are the things that will help us build a community, continue to build a community that is much more um, healthy and growing. So as we individually grow, um, our church and the local church will grow in spiritual maturity as well. Um, well, I want to leave some time for application. Um, and uh, he's, there's a few things that I think are important as we think about this. So I think we've outlined the idea what sanctification is, what sanctification isn't, what are some ways that we can fall into um, traps um, that would help us have or give us a wrong view of what uh, spiritual growth looks like. So how do we do this? 
what are the practical ways that we can cultivate spiritual growth um, in our lives? The first he doesn't mention, but I think is is probably the most important thing is to remember why um, we're called to spiritual growth. We have to remember God's holiness and our sin, but not just that, but that God has has connected us. He's bridged that gap between our sinfulness and his holiness in our justification. And so the spiritual growth that we um, want to attain or that we want to be growing in is a result of the uh, gratitude for what God has done for us, what Christ has done for us. Um, and so we, we should always remember um, how holy God is, what his standards are, and how short we have fallen of those standards, but not wallow in our sin because we're not, we're, um, we have a sinful um, disposition, but we're not, we're, we have been sanctified, we have, or we have been justified. So our um, status with God is no longer um, an enemy, but a friend. We have been grafted in, as Jesus talks about. And so I think that's an important first step is that our spiritual growth is, again, not something external, but an internal. And our motivation should, res- should be because of what um, God and, and what Christ has done for us. Um, the first thing that he talks about as a way of application, how you can do this, is to participate in the ordinary means of grace. Um, we had a summer series on that. That was the other Sunday school that kind of ties to this. And I think sometimes we can get, especially um, in our, you know, in the in the U.S. or kind of the, this, our culture, we kind of get out. Uh, we want to have extraordinary uh, experiences, spiritual experiences. I know, you know, growing up, it was going to summer camp and, you know, having the altar call and like doing all these like really extraordinary things um, that I thought was going to just jumpstart my spiritual life and give me um these some profound experience that would help um, help grow me. Um, but what scripture kind of testifies to and what we would hold to is that this is not something that spiritual growth happens in an ordinary way. It happens in small ways that God has given us um, where we grow. Those extraordinary experiences can sometimes in, in ways lead us away from spiritual growth. Because we can so focus on extraordinary experiences, spiritual experiences, or whatever that looks like, you know, mission trips or, you know, something that's this big thing. And we forget the daily plotting of being a Christian, being in the word, coming to church on Sunday and experiencing the ordinary means of grace. And so the challenge would be to find joy um, and and really gratitude in those ordinary means of grace. So studying the word, um, we should do that. Uh, That will help us, that will encourage us. Um, But we do that on Sunday as part of our worship is we all study the word together. We we sit under um, the preaching of the word of God. And that's an ordinary way, that's an ordinary means that God gives us grace. And if we are saying that spiritual growth is not our own work, but is God's work on us, then the way that he gives us that grace of growth is through 
uh, the things that he's told us to do. So he says to study the word. Uh, so we do that. Prayer. Um, prayer is an ordinary means of grace. And it might seem, um, you know, monotonous at times, but prayer is just communicating with God through Jesus. Um, it's available to us. We have an opportunity to communicate with God because of what Christ has done for us. That we've been grafted in, so we are connected to God, and therefore we can communicate with him. Revelations 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. So Jesus, in this passage, um, he gives us access. He initiates access with us. Um, he doesn't require us to have our stuff together. He doesn't require strength. He just says, if you hear my voice and you open the door, then there's a community, there's a communication, there's a personal, personal relationship that occurs there. Um, this eating of a meal is a very personal visual. Um, and the results of our prayer are not dependent on us. And so this idea of ordinary means of grace, of listening to the word being preached, studying the word ourselves, praying. And then the next is participating in the ordinances. So baptism and communion, we got an awesome example of that last Sunday where we got to um, participate in those ordinances together. Um, and Jeremy did a great job of kind of saying, even though one person is being baptized, we are all participating in that baptism. That is a community thing. That is something that we should be an active participant in. Um, and communion is something that we actively participate in. The London Baptist Confession um, that our church uh, adhere or holds to is says uh, in chapter 28, baptism and the Lord's Supper are ordinances of positive and sovereign institution appointed by the Lord Jesus, <coughs> the only lawgiver to be continued in his church until the end of the world. So this idea that we are participating in the, these ordinary means of grace together, um, this is it's a positive and sovereign institution. God and Christ have instituted these signs for us to all participate in once for baptism, for in, like where we actually are baptized. But in our church, we celebrate baptism together because it is a, a means of grace. It is uplifting. I mean, I'm, I was uplifted to be in the room when that baptism occurred. And communion is the same way. Um, this idea that we are communing, that we are remembering what Christ has done for us together, individually, but together, and enjoying that way that God, um, God displays his grace to us. And so we would say the communion, there's a lot of different ways that people can go wrong with communion um, or you know, institutions. We would say that there, that is a means of grace, not in a physical way where we are ingesting grace, filling our grace up, right? The the, the Roman church would, would say that there's a, a sense in which we are actually like taking grace into our body physically somehow in some mysterious way. We wouldn't say that, but we would say that it's more than just a remembrance of Christ's death, right? It's more than that. There's something that's happening when we participate in this ordinary means of grace that there's 
it's more than just a, a straight up remembrance. That's I think, you know, one other area where I think we can kind of fall into a rut too. So there's actual, God has promised us that he is, he is giving us grace through the way, through the things that he's instituted for us. Um, the last two things, he talks about local church participation. Um, so this idea, again, how can we possibly grow in our spiritual, have spiritual growth um, if we aren't participating in the local body, participating in the preached word, the communion with that we have with each other, um, the Lord's Supper, baptism, all the different things, that these are con- things that don't happen outside of the context of a local church. And so obviously participation uh, with the local church is, um, is important. And Hebrews um, 10 talks about this. I should have put it on my, I was trying to keep my outline, not eight pages. Um, Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. Uh, let me see. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through uh, the curtain, that is through the flesh. And since we have a great high priest uh, over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So this idea that we are um, part- actively participating in the local expression of, um, of the church. And then the last is looking towards Christ's return. So um, the, the idea that, and that it, it this section of Hebrews talks about that as you, all the more as you see the day drawing near, the day of Christ's return drawing near. Um, so to kind of connect this back to the healthy church, um, this idea of a healthy church, um, I'm going to read Ephesians 4, or someone want to read Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. <clears throat> And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God and the true manhood, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, else to and fro by the ways, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, Speaking the truth of love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So that's pretty much the, the summary of this entire class, really, but certainly of this, this particular um, aspect of what a healthy church member looks like, is it's not, again, for our own, just our own benefit, being a healthy Christian is something that God calls us to do, but that results in um, what Paul talks about, this unity in the body of Christ, that we are growing, that we are um, 
becoming more discerning in the way that we approach um, deceitful schemes, um, that we're speaking truth in love and growing um, into Christ-likeness. So that's pretty much a, the best summary that I could think of um, for how this, this looks. Um, that's all I have. Any questions or comments or thoughts? Yeah. I was just thinking like the experiential part of it, sanctification and some of those that to learn patience and to gain patience, you mm -hmm. usually have to have circumstances where it's needed. Mm -hmm. um, and, and those other fruits. I was also thinking of women bearing children. It's not very pleasant, but it's really good to go out of joy afterwards. Yeah. So I'm just thinking the process in our context, in our experience. It's probably not always pleasant. I think a lot of times when I hear people talking about fruits of spirit rest, it just seems like it's raising commercial, just sunny, and it's California, and it's just like dancing, you know, raisins sort of a thing. And I'm not sure at least it feels that way. Yeah. We're going through it. So I just wanted to bring up that fourth part of it. Yeah, this idea of growing pains, or I think the women and childbirth thing is a really good example of that, of like this future joy. Um, and even when when Jesus talks about, in John 15, when he talks about the vine and the branches, he says, you're going to bear fruit. Um, but he doesn't talk about what that experience looks like. He just says, he points to the future, that your joy may be full. Um, and the other part of that is that we're experiencing this growth in a culture that is increasingly telling us that those are things that are bad, like bad or unhealthy or um, that we should be pursuing comfort and we should be pursuing all these things that is against what spiritual growth would look like. So there's a sense in which the discomfort is because we're buttoned up against what culture says we should be doing. Josh, do you have something? I was going to say that, I mean, I think he's exactly right, right? Scripture agrees with that. It says that, uh, I was trying to find the reference and couldn't find it, but it's like all, all training basically doesn't feel good at the time, mm -hmm. but at the end it feels it's peaceful fruit of righteousness. Yeah. Um, and it's like those scenarios that we go through and the ability to go through it and the fruit that's produced, it's all from God. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that where he's the Noah figure, but at the end, his wife at the beginning that he wanted his family to become closer in the God character. Said, you know, when you ask for things, usually there's opportunities mm -hmm. for that to happen. Be careful what you ask for. Yeah. If you want patience, how are you going to gain patience? Yeah. Instead of Yeah. Yeah, I yeah I agree with that sentiment. I think this idea that um, and I think this is again against our culture that says instant gratification is what we should be looking for. But this idea that the spirit spiritual growth is is work in a real way. We are experiencing 
like we're training ourselves, um, training with constant practice, right? There's, there's a, there's a pain in the, in the process. If you're going to get stronger physically, then you've got to lift weights. It doesn't, you can't just pray for bigger muscles and it happens, right? Or pray for, uh, I wish I could lose 20 pounds and it just happens, right? You have to actually stop eating so much, right? So there are things that the, the, like God has given us things we need we are to ask him for it but he doesn't he's not a genie in a bottle to just give us whatever we need there's a there's a there's he's given us the wisdom um, through his word he's revealed how we do this how do we gain patience he's revealed to us how we have to do that it's a process um, and it's something that is worth the work um, because it gives him glory and it's going to make us joyful Yeah. Because it's hard. It's work. So if you try to do that by yourself, yeah, it's easy to get discouraged or give up. Sure. And I think it also encourages other people if they see you go through the growing process. That that encourages them too. Yeah. That's such an important point, and I, I hope that I was able to outline that this idea of community and that we're all in this. That we're doing this together. That God did not create the Christian life to be done in isolation. And that is torturous to try to do that in isolation. He's given us the beauty of um, a variety of experiences. There are times when we are weak and others are strong and vice versa. And if we don't, if we don't have community and, and lean into each other in those circumstances, um, it makes the trials almost double trials, right? Because you don't have somebody else that can encourage you. Um, and there's practical aspects to this. You know, there's there's ways that we spiritually grow and there's people that are gifted in certain ways and people that are not like, you know, I mean, prayer. What does it look like to actually pray every day? What does it look like to, to study the word? You know, those are things that some people might have strengths and weaknesses. And if we're in community with each other, then we're able to practically and, you know, just generally encourage each other um, on how, what this Christian life looks like. Um, so that's the beauty of, of, uh, of a local church is the, this idea that we are all in this together. We're all at different stages. We're all having different plateaus and ruts at different times. We're having peaks and valleys at different times. We're having extraordinary experiences and ordinary experiences at different times. And it all is, um, working together, um, and encouraging, um, each other. In Philippians 2.13, that is such an encouraging verse to me that he says, um, for it is God who is at work in you mm -hmm. both to will and to do yeah. his good pleasure. He makes us want to do it. Mm -hmm. He makes us able to do it. And then abide means, um, my understanding is to feel at home with. Yeah. And so when we feel at home, we're going to spend a lot of time with him. Mm -hmm. And it, when you're looking at a, we had a grapevine in the backyard and it's Georgia. And uh, that was a good picture to me of how I didn't see those branches doing very much, mm -hmm. but um, they just hung there. Yeah. And that vine fed them, made sure everything got up there to them. And yeah. So it's, I think the more we rest in Christ and know that he's going to put the things in front of it, the, the, the works that he planned for us to do, mm -hmm. he's going to put them there. Yep. And 
And he and and Christ talks about him pruning us, like he's pruning us so that the fruit is gonna happen, and so he's aligning us to his will, not to our will, okay. right? Um, and so that abiding, that idea of abiding, is so beautiful. Well, we're at ten o'clock. I appreciate whoever put that clock up there, so I don't go over time. Um, so let's pray, and we'll head over to worship. Father, thank you for these truths. Thank you that you don't leave us um, in a static way, that you have called us um, to grow in, the, in holiness, in righteousness, and in knowledge of you. And thank you for doing that work in each of us. We pray that you would help us um, more and more align with your will, um, that we would uh, continue to fight sin, identify and fight sin in our, in our lives, um, and, and that also that you would um, grow us into spiritual maturity, grow our church into spiritual maturity, help us to become a community that is known uh, for loving each other and for caring about each other and for building each other up. As we transition to worship, Lord, we just pray that you'd be with us in that time, that you would open our hearts uh, and our minds to experience the ordinary means of grace that you've given us. And we just pray that you'd be with us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.